Welcome to episode 39 of Therese Talk. I'm your host, Therese Main. By day, I co-host a morning radio show on a network in New York and Pennsylvania. By night, I'm a podcaster. If you're a woman like me who loves Jesus and just wants to serve her family and community a little bit better, you're in the right place. Would you take a moment right now and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode? I once read that when a child dies, there are two hearts that stop beating, the child's and the mother's. Nancy Guthrie knows that pain well. After losing two children, it caused her to draw even closer to God, and now she can share from a place of healing. So my husband, David, and my son, Matt, who's 31, we live here in Nashville, Tennessee, and when our son was about eight, I gave birth to a daughter we named Hope. And Hope was born with a rare metabolic disorder called Zellweger syndrome. When she was born, she had club feet. She had a real large soft spot. Her hands turned slightly out. She was a little underweight. She was crying a lot. They ran a bunch of tests and that's when they came up with that diagnosis, Zellweger syndrome, which you've probably never heard of, your listeners have probably never heard of. It meant that she was missing a tiny subcellular particle that you and I have in every cell of our bodies, which has kind of one job. They're kind of like the cell's trash man. And they're in charge of taking out the trash of long chain fatty acids. And so this doctor explained to us on Hope's the second day of her life, that basically there's no trash man in her cells to take on that trash. So they, it, they would become toxic. And he explained that because of that, there, a lot of damage had already been done to all of her major organs, especially her liver, her kidneys, and her brain. And that most children born with that syndrome left, live less than six months. Uh, there was no treatment, no cure. Well, you can imagine what that was like to hear. I mean, I, I was really looking forward to raising a daughter. And... So we were immediately plunged into trying to figure out what this meant and how we were going to respond. You know, I was was looking forward to taking home a daughter who would grow old with us and be my friend in my old age. And instead, immediately knew we'd be taking our daughter home to die. Uh, Hope's life, it's hard to capture Therese, especially in a short time, but it was, it was at one time crushing and sad and heartbreaking. It was very difficult to get up every day and know, well, maybe this will be her last day with us. But it was also an incredibly rich time for us. There was a special blessing in knowing her life would be short and seeking to trust God with that. And the way people came around us and there's something very special when you know that life is short. And that the reality of her life would be that she would not grow old with us, but in fact, we would usher her very quickly to being in the presence of Christ. And Hope was with us for 199 days. And then we said goodbye to her. I think, Therese, I was, I was one of those people that I thought like, okay, well, I'm, I know she's going to die and I'm preparing myself for it. And so Perhaps that means that grief won't be as hard for me as it might be for some people. Didn't work out that way. (laughs) Um, There is a big difference between knowing somebody's going to die and the fact that they're just gone. And so, you know, 
I think initially after Hope died, I felt, I felt strong and like I'd learned so much and, and she had enriched my life so much. And that went away really quickly. And then I just felt, you know, grief was like this big, heavy stone on my chest. And like, it was always pressing the air out of me. And I was always struggling for breath. And I was, all I could say was I was really sad, really sad for a long time. You know, some people, grief makes them angry. It didn't make me angry. I just felt so disappointed. So disappointed that she wasn't here. You know, to have a child with this syndrome means that both my husband and I must be carriers of the recessive gene trait for this syndrome. So that meant after we had hope, we had a really difficult decision to make about whether or not we would have more children, because it meant that whenever we have a child, that child would have a 25% chance of having the fatal syndrome. And honestly, for me and David, it was a hard decision because there was a part of us that was like, we loved her and we enjoyed her. And that wouldn't be the worst thing to have another child that we would usher quickly into the presence of Christ. But also our life wasn't just us, you know, there was our parents and it had been incredibly difficult for our parents um, to watch their child lose a child and not be able to do anything about it. And then there was our son, Matt, who had lived in a house for six months waiting for his sibling to die. And then in a house a lot longer than that with a really sad mom and dad. (laughs) So we took surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy. And about a year and a half after Hope died, I discovered that I was pregnant, that it hadn't worked. Teresa, I mean, that day I figured that my heart was just pounding. And uh, I went up and I told my husband and we called the geneticist who had diagnosed Hope because he had said to us when we had Hope, now don't take any permanent birth control steps because we can test very early. And of course, you know what he's suggesting. But, you know, that day I called him, I said, you know, we're going to continue this pregnancy either way, but it's going to be really helpful to know which way, which direction we're headed in with this, especially before we tell our parents or our son. So I had to wait about eight weeks to go through prenatal testing and then another three weeks for the results and found out that we were going to have a son this time and that he also had the fatal syndrome. So our son, Gabriel, was born uh, 20 years ago last month. July 16th, 2001. And similar to his sister, Hope, he was with us for about six months. And then we said goodbye to him. And um, then there we were back to a family of three again, you know, with just a huge empty place in our home and in our family. I'm so sorry, because when you said the, the month and the year, uh, I quickly flashed to my youngest, who was born in August of 2001. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about... Uh, and it's 20. She's Well, she'll be 20 soon. Um, <laughs> and that she's, you know, a senior in college. And she's, you know, getting ready to do all kinds of big life things. And when you have a profound loss like that, you aren't just mourning the situation you have to mourn the expectations that you had for an entire lifetime. I mean, this time of year is charged with so many things, all of this back to school and then the holidays. And I'm sure not one goes by where you don't picture, but what if God had 
done this or done that. Yeah, that's so insightful, Teresa. It's so true. You know, people look at someone who's had a loss and they see it generally very flatly, very one-dimensional. When the loss of someone you love is a series of losses, you know, I lost Hope and Gabe as toddlers and elementary school age kids and high schoolers and now college age kids. Yeah. And so, yeah, those things are always a reminder of, of what we've, what we've lost and they're all just losses to keep surrendering and to keep trusting God with as we go out, as we go through life. You know so much about the heartbeat of God. What has he taught you through the loss? What has he revealed oh about himself? And I know you probably could give a million answers. Yeah. Well, I've written a lot of books about it. <laughs> my first book was a book called Holding On to Hope. And it was my walk through the book of Job during Hope's life because I was trying to figure out how does a person, what, here's what you see in Job. Here's a person who uh, suffers significantly and questions God in the midst of the loss and yet emerges from it with a life described as good. Because at that point in my life, I thought my life will never be good again. I just couldn't imagine that it would be. Um, a few years later, I wrote a book called Hearing Jesus Speak Into Your Sorrow. I realized that there are so many, what I'll say, misunderstandings or misapplications of scripture that make loss more confusing and more difficult. And so I picked 11 statements of Jesus that I think are often misunderstood, misapplied, and that people who are experiencing loss need to know, you know, a statement like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Could you not wait with me one hour? And we discover, okay, Jesus, he gets it. He does understand that heaviness, the, the feeling that grief is pressing the life out of you. He understands the loneliness of grief. Like nobody gets how hard this is. Um, what it means, you know, so in, in that book, I, I, I dealt with what I think everyone who experiences a, a loss like this quite, wants an answer to, which is the question, why? And, 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 and the deeper question, like, God, what was your involvement in this? Did, did you plan this? Did you simply allow it? Um, so I've worked through a lot of those kind of things in a lot of books. And then in a more practical regard, probably my most recent book along those lines was a book called what grieving people wish you knew about what really hurts and what really helps. Um, because we all want to be that person, right. Who shows up for someone in the midst of a loss and it can be hard to know what's what to say or, or what to do. And so that's a practical book that I've tried to help people to, to know how to come alongside others who are hurting or grieving in a meaningful way. I think the other big thing that's come out of this, Therese, is that my husband and I, in 2009, we launched retreats just for couples who have lost children. So um, we're, we started those in 2009. We've held now 42, we've spent 42 weekends with, you know, 10 to 12 couples. So we, we've now spent the weekend with about 900 grieving parents to just talk about what that loss is like and to look 
toward the future? How are we going to experience healing and how can hope be restored and how, how can we keep our family on track through that? And so David and I continue to host those respite retreats. We've also launched a couple of other respite retreats in other locations in Texas and on the Alabama coast. And those are incredible weekends in which we just talk about the unique difficulties of what it's like to go through the loss of a child. And so, yeah, I'm grateful for what God has taught me in the midst of it and then how he's continued to then use that in the lives of others. And really, the loss of a child is a huge catalyst for divorce. And so you really have invested in so many marriages uh, by doing the work that you do. One of the practical tips that you give for people, and it was funny because when you said, you know, we all want to be that person. And I think in theory we do, but when rubber meets the road, it's so unbelievably uncomfortable and we love our comfort zones. And so one of the things that you say is just show up. Uh, that you don't have to have the right words, you don't have to have the right casserole, you know, I, you, I mean, you show up with rotisserie chicken from the grocery store and a tossed salad uh, that you get from the salad bar and just be, be there for someone. Yeah, it, it matters to just show your face because a lot of people run the other direction and mainly because they're, they're not sure what they would say or what they would do. But when you show up, you know, the person who's grieving is really not expecting that you've got something brilliant to say that's going to make this okay. And the truth is, if mere words could fix it, (laughs) wow, wouldn't that be great? Um, But words can't. But you know what? Um, Showing up, looking around, going, where is a practical need that I can meet, you know, Uh, and then just just do it, you know, like it's maybe you know, the widow whose husband had died, you know, and you, you say, you know what, I'm going to pay my son to come over and mow your lawn every week this summer, um, that you just find some kind of practical way of support or, or you come up with some creative questions, you know, to be a better listener than a talker in that situation is really key. And, you know, maybe it's just like, so tell me about your mom. No, I, I, I know you know, just, and then just to listen, um, or to ask a question instead of saying, how are you, which makes a grieving person maybe feel like they've got to give a report and they know you really want a good report, (laughs) but to maybe just say to that grieving person, what's your grief like these days? And, you know, and to do that maybe three months later or six months later or a year later, where you acknowledge the fact that you don't expect that they're just over it by now but you give them this invitation to talk about that person or talk about what the grief is like and, and when it's most difficult and, and how they're finding it. That, that's a great gift to someone who is grieving. And grief isn't one of those things that really ever goes away. I don't think there'll ever be a time in your life on earth where you won't have those moments that you're mm-hmm. suddenly impacted by, by missing the, these two people in your life who are so significant to you. Mm. Uh, We do kind of have this weird expectation that there'll be a point where someone will get over it. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that you get over it or that, that you never feel it. But I do want to say, Therese, to people, sometimes I get really frustrated when someone who's lost a child will say to someone who has newly lost a child, you're always going to feel this way. Because... What I think that communicates to that person whose pain is so fresh and so deep, you can't expect to ever experience any healing 
And I think what they often hear is you are always going to hurt as much as you hurt right now. And I would say to you, that's not the truth, that that's that our God is a healer. And as we seek him in his word, and as we invite his Holy Spirit to apply that word to these deep places of pain, God can and does do a work of healing in our lives. And the way I would explain it is, and the way I often say it to grieving parents is, you're going to hurt for a while. And it may get worse before it gets better. But you can expect as you dive into God's word and ask, ask its word to, to, to help answer some of your questions, to speak into all of your desperate thoughts and feelings, that the day will come when grief will still be there, but it won't have as much power in your life as it has right now. Like right now, a wave of grief flows over you and you can't do anything about it. You're like powerless and it overwhelms you. But the day is going to come when you have more power so that you can say maybe like not right now. And you're able to hold it back for that time in which you can, in the sense, indulge in it and allow its waves to flow over you. So expect that God actually will do a work of healing in your life because that's who he is. He's a healer and he can do a work of healing in your life. You can find out more about Nancy Guthrie, her books, and speaking engagements at nancyguthrie.com. Did you appreciate this episode of Therese Talk? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And if you really loved it, consider making a gift to Family Life, the ministry this podcast is a part of. Just go to familylife.org and find out more about what we do. Did you know Family Life offers a variety of podcasts? There's family programming with Family Life Kids, the latest issues with Family Life News, our newest podcast, The Sunny Side, filled with real-life stories of God's goodness, and if that makes sense, a Family Life original podcast where they talk about what life is really like as a Christian in your 20s. They're all free and on demand at familylife.org slash podcast. Podcast.